This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick, filling in for Libby Snymer. How can university music students and retirement home residents live a mutually beneficial, harmonious life together? We speak with the designer of an exciting new program that aims to do just that. And the criteria required for doctors to help their suffering patients end their lives was questioned in court recently. We speak with the CEO of Dying with Dignity about this landmark case and how it will impact future decisions. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. According to a new study published in the Journal of the American Academy of Neurology, people who get less rapid eye movement, or REM sleep as it's more commonly known, might be at a greater risk of developing dementia. The first four stages of sleep go from light, then gradually gets deeper, allowing the body to prepare for stage five, or REM sleep. This is where dreaming occurs. The other stages of sleep did not show an association with an increased risk for dementia. It's never too late to start a new job. 88-year-old world-renowned political philosopher Noam Chomsky will begin a new professorship at the University of Arizona in the spring. But Chomsky's new role as a laureate professor in the Department of Linguistics won't keep him from also keeping his previous position as Institute Professor Emeritus at MIT. Chomsky will also keep teaching and speaking at other universities and will continue to be involved in social justice issues. Grammy Award winner Billy Joel took a stand against the growing neo-Nazi and white nationalism movement. Joel wearing a yellow star of David during his concert at Madison Square Garden. The 68-year-old piano man, born to Jewish parents, wore the patch to reference the yellow stars Jews were forced to wear during the Holocaust. Joel also made a political dig at President Trump by singing a duet of his song, Goodbye to You, with Patti Smythe. Groundbreaking comedian and civil rights activist Dick Gregory has passed away of heart failure at the age of 84. Gregory started out as a stand-up comic, breaking the color barrier in comedy when there was segregation on stage. But after performing at the Playboy Club, Gregory paved the way for comedians like Richard Pryor. Gregory was known to go on dozens of hunger strikes over issues including the Vietnam War, equal rights, and police brutality. I'm Bob Comsick, filling in for Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Western University music grad Heather Gingrich, who currently works at a long-term care facility in London, heard about a program in the U.S. where music students were selected to live among retirement home residents. Heather was so taken with the idea, she's created a similar pilot program here in Ontario, the first of its kind in Canada. Where did you get the idea? 
Okay, well, our program was inspired by a similar program in Cleveland, Ohio, where students, music students in particular, were living alongside residents in a retirement home, and we felt it was a natural fit for people care as we're moving into that space. I'm an alumni of Western Music Faculty myself, so when we heard about this and learned a little bit more about it, I thought we should do this in our new project. So did the light bulb go off right away when you were, as you were watching this? Uh, literally, it did. And it sounds a little bit corny, but at the same time, the residents and the students that were part of this program were, it was a wonderful relationship that they were building. And we knew we could do the same thing. So why not do it? Our team members right on site at Oak Crossing contacted, uh, I think initially it was the assistant of the faculty dean, and we asked if they would put it out to graduate students and upper years undergraduate students as a possibility for accommodations for the coming school year. And so they did just that, and we received a lot of interest from students at that time. Now, there's a few of them who will be part of this program who will have free, I guess, room and board, as it were. Mm-hmm. But, but Absolutely. That, and that wasn't the main thing. or Obviously, it would have been one of the things which would have intrigued some students, given the cost of schooling. But oh, it, sure. wasn't, it wasn't just that, obviously. You know, we haven't... Um We don't have all the students lined up yet. We've offered a couple of spots and those students, and we're going through an application process, an interview process with these students, and they determine if it's a right fit for them alongside of our team, deciding, letting them know what is your experience in the past being with seniors and being around seniors and your comfort level, and what do you think you could bring to the program, and how do they visualize the program unfolding? Something as simple as just sharing some time together after performing for the residents and and connecting with them can provide so much for the residents. I think almost like a grandparent-grandchild relationship. Right. Uh, I, I recall myself going home from university and visiting with my grandparents and telling them what I was doing and how much they loved to hear about it. They loved to hear me practice. I played for them all the time. But seniors just love to hear what young people are doing. It's that it energizes their day, and it's, I, it's going to go both ways. So I think it's a unique program. I think it's one, it's time to introduce this kind of thing in our senior, senior living homes in, in Canada. And I, I think, again, if we do it the right way, it will be something hopefully we can repeat and it hopefully will be a wonderful success. Now you say three students for this fall, for this mm-hmm. semester. Mm-hmm. Now then will there be three different ones come the next semester? How's it going to work, unfold? Yeah, so that, that's a really good question. As we pilot this program, we have committed to the students to uh, this school year and having an ongoing dialogue with them. If they are returning next year and the living accommodations are working really, really well, I don't see why we would change that. Just like if you find a residency as a student somewhere that works well for you, you usually stick it out for another year. So we are open to all of the above, and we will continue to keep the communication lines open. Heather Gingrich of Oak Crossing Retirement Living in London, talking about the music students' setup that you will have at your facility in October. All the best. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your interest. That was Heather Gingrich of Oak Crossing Retirement Home in London. I'm Bob Comsick, filling in for Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we speak with the CEO of Dying with Dignity Canada, 
about a recent landmark case. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. An anonymous woman who suffered from the chronic pain associated with osteoarthritis for more than 30 years passed away recently. A.B., as she was known, went to court back in June in order to clarify the determining factors so that she could end her life after a doctor declined, fearing he could be charged with murder. Dying with Dignity Canada CEO Shanaz Gokul explains. The recent passing of uh, the 77-year-old, known only as A.B., as her identity was uh, protected by the courts. You were there that day when the, the ruling came down. Share with us, if you will... AB's reaction to the ruling. Yes, well, I've been in touch with AB since April and had been providing her with uh, personal support as she was navigating, you know, trying to access an assisted death. And she'd been very frustrated with the physician that was going to be providing because he had a lot of concerns around the eligibility criteria. And so on June 19th, the day that Justice Perel heard the case, uh, when his decision uh, was rendered, I waited for a few minutes to let her lawyers uh, tell her first. And then I spoke to A.B. and she was, I would say, giddy with disbelief. And she kept asking me, you know, repeatedly, can this go ahead now? Can this really happen? And uh, I said, yes, you know, the judge has declared that you do meet the eligibility criteria for your natural death becoming reasonably foreseeable. And she was just so relieved, but very happy in her relief. You know, the other thing that was really important to her is she said, you know, Andrew, uh, Andrew Faith, her lawyer, said that this might help other people. Do you think it's going to help other people? And I said, you know, it, it could help other people, and we're certainly going to, as an organization, Dying with Dignity Canada, to do everything possible uh, to ensure that other clinicians, just Canadians in general, know about this decision um, and what it may mean for others who are in similar circumstances where they have very severe chronic illness that, you know, could leave them living for many years before they die. When the law came down, that was one of the areas of concern with regards to this particular criteria. And now with the ruling, and usually in law, things aren't always black and white, but in this case, does it make it a little more focused, a little more black and white, as close to being black and white as it can be? You know, Bob, one of the things I've learned over the past couple of years is whether you have a court decision or you have a piece of legislation, there really needs to be a period of engagement and education with the multiple actors that are going to be affected. And so in this particular case, that yes, when the government released its legislation on um, assisted dying, Bill C-14, we were very, very concerned that clinicians would interpret the legislation as being, you know, you have to be terminally ill or imminently dying. Uh, And though the government tried to give some reassurance that that wasn't the case, that hasn't permeated through the medical and legal communities. So over the past year, we've seen sort of one of two things happen. Either people who should have been covered under the Supreme Court's decision, which led to the federal legislation, are left out, 
or you've got inconsistent access, really depending on how your clinician, you know, has assessed you and has, um, you know, measured your assessment against the eligibility criteria. And this was an amendment to the criminal code, right? That's the federal legislation is an amendment to the criminal code. And there really needs to be more clarity to be able to differentiate between an accepted medical treatment and serious criminal charges. And so I think this decision it does help. It can potentially help, you know, because A, B theoretically could have lived for a number of years. But we have to, you know, go through that period of engagement education to ensure that people are very aware of the decision. Now, the decision was made by an Ontario trial judge, and it's important to note that it wasn't challenged. It's not going to be challenged. The Ontario government isn't um, and indicated that they wouldn't, and neither um, uh, will the federal government, which basically means that what's in that decision stands. They don't contest what Justice Perel said, especially when he tried to provide some clarity about what reasonably foreseeable could mean and certainly what it doesn't mean. And in his decision, it doesn't mean that a person has to be terminally ill. It doesn't mean that there has to be a prognosis in terms of the length of their life expectancy. It means that something has changed fundamentally in their health condition that has now put them on a trajectory towards death. And once they're on that trajectory where there's no coming back from it, there's no treatments that are going to help that person or that they want to try, then they are eligible for an assisted death under Bill C-14. So one of the things our organization is doing over the next couple of months is doing what we can to ensure that people have the decision, to ensure that, you know, our clinicians, we have a physician's advisory council, we do monthly case-sharing webinars, we have a case-sharing webinar coming up in September for providers of medical assistance in dying, and a good chunk of that session is going to be to discuss the AB decision and what it means. Shanaz Gokul, CEO, Dying with Dignity Canada, thank you for your time. Thank you, Bob. That was Dying with Dignity Canada CEO Shanaz Gokul. I'm Bob Komsik filling in for Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we pay homage to the man known as The Gambler. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby's Nimer. Time for your international arts datebook. Tips for those of you jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. Prince on Broadway has opened at the Samuel Friedman Theatre in New York City, honoring Hal Prince, the man behind such hits as West Side Story, Fiddler on the Roof, Cabaret, and Phantom of the Opera. Prince himself says he feels about 40, despite being 89 years old. Brexit the Musical is the hit at Scotland's Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It features a mock-up of Brexit supporter Boris Johnson wearing Union Jack underwear and socks and plays through to the end of the month. Theatre-goers in L.A. are finding out what all the excitement over Hamilton is about. So what did I miss? What did I miss? The story of American founding father Alexander Hamilton is at the Pantages Theatre on Hollywood Boulevard. And in Australia, fashion has taken over the National Gallery of Victoria, presenting 140 never-before-seen garments celebrating the 70th anniversary of the House of Dior. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. 
This week, Kenny Rogers celebrated his 79th birthday. Although Rogers is best known to country audiences, he's charted more than 120 hit singles across various musical genres. He's topped the country and pop album charts for more than 200 weeks in the U.S. alone and has sold over 100 million records worldwide, making him one of the best-selling musical artists of all time. But even with the countless hit singles, his name is synonymous with one hit you're probably singing already, The Gambler. On a warm summer's eve. That was Kenny Rogers with The Gambler, Rogers celebrating his 79th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick. Thanks so much for joining me today. Libby Snymer will be back next week. Be sure to tune in then to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.